Jesus was the first apostle. See how that strikes you. I thought it was odd the first time I heard it, which was about four minutes ago. <laughs> I was talking with the Lord and talking with him about the declarations of our worship and talking with him about what he wanted this morning. And I was talking about the difficulties we go through in this life of recognizing what he wants and recognizing that that path that he wants us to be on is a difficult path, but it's also a constant path. It's where he wants us to be constantly. And I, I, I said to him, how? You know, we are but flesh. And how can we go through a normal daily life and yet be able to go after him with our whole heart? And he said to me, Jesus was the first apostle. He said he already plowed that ground. That's why Jesus became a man. So he could plow the very ground that we need to, to reach the Father. See, oftentimes we get kind of mixed up in our heads. What Jesus' role was. In becoming a man. Because recognize he wasn't always a man. And we know that. But we don't think about that. Right? We don't think about what he was. Prior to inserting himself into his own creation. We know that prior to that. Am I ringing? A little bit. We know that prior to that, he was the creator. We know that he was the very word of God, because it said the word became flesh. We know he's the son of God. And if you ask any theologian that can fully explain to you the Trinity, then I would just throw away that book (laughs) and not listen to him, because None of us can truly understand the dynamic of the Trinity. But we know that one of the Trinity, the Son, the Word, the Creator, by choice, volunteered to become flesh. And in that flesh, the Word says that He went against everything that we go against. Every temptation known to man, He dealt with. He had to fight the physical limitations of this body. See, he had to not operate as God. Because he couldn't. That would have nullified the whole deal. If Jesus would have thought, you know, Lord, it'd be so much easier to get over to uh, Jerusalem. just, Just, you know... Blink or click my heels together three times. 
right? He could not operate as God as Jesus Christ. That was a choice he made before he ever came. Why? Because the, the scripture says that he learned obedience. He learned how to be full of faith. Don't worry about that. Pay attention to me. Don't miss this. This is important. Don't miss this. He learned obedience. He learned faith. See, the reason we have no excuse is because He already did it for us as a human being. We don't think of that often. See, we think, we don't really think about Christ as a young child or a baby or a a boy growing up. You know, what we know of Him is His birth. And then the next thing we know, He's 12 years old and He's preaching in the synagogue. We don't, we don't really know anything about those 12 years in between. Except for the fact that we do know that He had to go against everything human that we have to go against. He had to live in that human body. He had to learn who He was. How crazy is that? See, I don't know about you, but I grew up thinking, well, you know, I guess He just was born and knew. Knew He was God. Knew He was the Son of God. Knew He was the Messiah. The prophesied one that would save the world. He just knew that, right? But faith is what pleases God. And why would it be any less pleasurable, if not more pleasurable, for for the Father to receive pleasure from His Son, who would give that faith? So He had to learn who He was. He had to accept by faith who He was. If you want evidence of that, just look at the night before He was crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane. Why do you think those tears became blood? Why do you think that He said in there, God, if there be any way for this cup to pass from Me, let it pass. See, if He knew from birth that He was God, and it was not by faith that He believed that, then He would have just recognized, alright God, see in three days. But he didn't. He had to believe by faith who he was. He had to believe by faith the very miracles that, that the Father did through him in the Holy Spirit was, was from God. He accepted that and believed that by faith. See, so he paved the very way for you and me to believe the same thing. That God can work through us. Not that we're God. <laughs> but that God can work through us. See, he said when he was ready to depart after he had risen from the grave and before he ascended into heaven, he said to his disciples, you will do even more than I have done. See, we think in terms of the miracles, but it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that because what he literally did was he paved a road for us to follow In terms of faith. He paved that road. So we have no excuse. To be able to follow down that road of faith. 
Now what, what, what that faith was, was that, or what that road was, that road was a road to the Father. See, when he paved that road, he paved a road of relationship. When we build relationship, our relationship is not specifically with Jesus Christ. Our relationship is literally with the Father through Jesus Christ. Facilitated by the Holy Spirit. See, he built that relationship first to show us how to do it. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But I want to point out to you the importance of connecting this in your mind. Because it's so easy in this life to turn on church, turn it off when we leave. And and by the way, guys, I'm not talking about sin. That's what we equate it with. Well, you know, I'll be good at church and I'll go and kind of live my life during the week. That's, no, first of all, I don't even believe that about this group. But see, that's not the whole thing. See, oftentimes we compartmentalize church because we walk out of here and we recognize, okay, now I'm, now I'm stepping where I need to step. I'm not, I'm no longer believing or stepping in that faith. See, he paved the way in faith so that we might live by faith all the time. All the days of our life. Trusting him. Trusting in his word. Trusting what he says. Trusting that as the father spoke to him on earth and by faith he received that and believed that, the father will always also speak with us. See, God didn't just die for us, leave a manual and say, here, here's, here's all you need. Here's what you need until you see me. Boy, if that were the case, he got the raw end of a deal. Because there's nothing in that for him. But what he said was, here's a manual to teach you how to have relationship with me as the father. See, because you, first of all, you cannot even come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, as that first apostle, paving that way, He was the one who made the Father available to us. Because He was never available to us before in relationship. He made the Father available to us. And then He said, here's this manual. This manual that will teach you relationship. But oftentimes in this life, we walk out of here and we deal with stuff. That takes us away from that recognition that he's even there in the stuff. You know, we go and we deal with work. Or we deal with school and we think, how am I going to get through this? How am I, I going to get through this next day? How am I going to pay the, the mortgage this month? How am I going to do this or do that? And see, recognize Jesus paved the way of faith. To recognize that He has got that if you give it to Him. It may not look like what you want it to look like. 
It may not feel like what you want it to feel like because his goals are different than yours. But Jesus already paved the way to walk a life of faith. Last week I talked about and I mentioned this idea about this life being an interview. And a couple days ago the Lord told me, I want you to go into what that means a little deeper. Because people don't get it. People don't understand that this life, not when you're here on Sunday morning, but every choice you make, every step you take, is part of this interview process. Once you have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, and you become His child, that's when the interview starts. And it lasts until you breathe your last breath on this earth. And what He is interviewing for is work in His kingdom. Now understand that His kingdom is not just the thousand year reign. That is his, his kingdom where he fulfills the throne of David. But it says the throne of David will be fulfilled forever. It doesn't just end after that thousand years. So this is a pretty important interview. This life is pretty important to understand that we need to separate the cares of this world to our walk with Christ. To our relationship with the Father. And if we can learn to separate that, and we can learn to walk in that, we can begin to understand the importance of this life. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're, we're, I'm just going to start reading at verse 1. We'll go through, down through 10, but, but understand that Paul talks about this life once we've accepted Christ into our heart. He talks about this life as a race. How many runners do we have in here? Okay, y'all are sick. Let me just tell you, you're just sick in the head. I, I, I played soccer one year and figured out football was so much more fun. Because at least you get to hit somebody. But you also don't have to run like forever. There, there's, there's a goal in it. Soccer, there's no goal. You practice, you practice, at least, at least, no, it, you know what? I have the microphone, people. There, yes, there is literally a goal. However, you have to run to get to that goal. And then when you get there, you realize you gotta go defend the other goal. So you're running back. I like table tennis. <laughs> table tennis, you just stand there. You could even sit there if you had a high enough chair you could, and a paddle in each arm. You could just sit there. You anyway. Okay, we're, we're, I, it's starting to feel like Thursday night getting into the rabbit hole there for Ignition College. Yes. Okay. We, we were in the Bible, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So Paul describes this life as a race. He describes this life when we accept Jesus Christ into our heart and it establishes that relationship. He describes it then as a race. Now, in a race, right, you're, Paul says, you're racing to win. 
Not that you're in competition, by the way, with, with others. You're in competition. I, I think of it more in terms of, of how the, the Ironman things are now. You know, you're really in, or the, or the marathon races now. You're, you're really in competition with yourself. You're really in competition of where you were last time or what your time was last time. You're, you're moving forward to constantly improve, right? That's what Paul talks about. And he says at the end of this race, there are rewards, right? And it's no different with relationship with Christ. When, when we are with him, Either, either when, when we die and we're with him or when the Lord, if we're, when we're alive, if the Lord comes to take, meet his people in the clouds during the rapture. Either way, when we are with him, there's going to be a time of judgment. Now we're going to read this and, and that, that word judgment there is different than the great white throne judgment. The word judgment there is actually meaning more of a ceremony. A reward ceremony, if you will. And this is specifically for believers. This is different than the great white throne judgment where non-believers will be judged. And they will be judged by their own words, but without the veil of Christ's blood on their life. Okay? Here too, believers will be judged, but the veil has already covered them. Jesus Christ's blood has already covered them, so they're not being judged from a negative standpoint. They're being judged from a rewards standpoint. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's start at verse 1. For we know that if the tent, which is our, our body, by the way, he calls it a tent here. Why? Because it's temporary. Because it's fleeting. It's not established in permanency. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. Again, it's talking about our bodies. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, our bodies, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, which is our glorified body. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For why, while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, is Abba Father, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. By the way, I want to I want to mention there what it, when it's talking about clothing, when it's talking about putting on this clothing in in. In heaven, so much of what exudes from people, from God, from angels, is light. Okay? Different colors of light. I believe that's how it was in the Garden of Eden. The reason they did not recognize, knock it off. I'll separate you. The reason they did not recognize themselves as naked before the Lord was because of the light that was exuding from them. That light came from a base of righteousness. Of being right before the Lord. So recognize that. By, by the way. Sorry, sorry to derail here for a second. But do you know that there is light that comes out of us at different degrees? 
And that's based on our righteousness. See, Satan has a way of saying this too. It, 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 he calls it an aura. Right? Don't just write these things off just because Satan may say them. They're wrong in how he interprets that. But recognize as you grow in your righteousness, in your walk with Christ, in your, in your relationship with the Father through Christ, what begins to be produced in you is this light. And that's the clothing that we put on when we are no longer in this immortal body. But when we are given our glorified body, that's how it was before the fall. That's why when that was taken away and their righteousness was immediately taken away, all they saw was the mortal body. It wasn't clothed in that light. But this is what we work toward. Verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. What pleases Him? We said it earlier, faith. Right. Hebrews 11, faith. Verse 10, and this is what I wanted to get to in this part. For we must all, Now, Paul is talking to Christians. Paul is talking to those who have accepted Jesus Christ into their heart. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, in this body, in this flesh, whether good or evil. Now, by the way, that word judgment there in the Greek is the word bima, B-E-M-A. That's why it talks about it being the Bema Seat of Christ. Because in other places it's called the Bema of Christ. Remember, Christ is a title. The Bema of the Christ. This is the judgment seat of Christ. And it says we will all appear before this Bema Seat of Christ. Why? So that we may receive what is due. For what he has done in the body, in this flesh. And the last part is kind of what sticks a little. Whether good or evil. Whether good or evil. What does that mean? See, that means that you will be judged in this life, in this interview process. You will be judged upon what you do in your relationship with Christ. Not what you do in terms of, well, I, I went to church every Sunday and every Tuesday and, and you know, I, I gave my tithe and I, I did this and I did that and I had this list of stuff. See, Lord says that, if done in a religious spirit, makes him sick. So it's not that. It's his, it's the relationship that you have with the Father through Jesus Christ. That's what's judged. Why? Because that's what produces the fruit. We're going to get into that. I don't know if we'll actually make it there this week. We'll see. We're going to get into it this week or next week. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy 
chapter 4, verse 7 says this. And this is Paul again at the end of his ministry talking about this race. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge. He will award me on that day. What day? That Bema of Christ day. That day, that award ceremony day. He will award Paul on that day, and not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This crown of righteousness is given and will be given to Paul and will be given to those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ, who long for his appearing, who wait for him, not just, yeah, can't wait till he comes. Now let me deal with my life. No, to those who keep constant on their mind who Jesus Christ is. By the way, His appearing is not just when He comes in the rapture or when He comes in the second coming of Christ. His appearing is when He comes to you. Do you love His appearing? Do you love love and look forward to and expect Him to come to you? Him to be with you? Or does that just apply to His disciples? Because he promised them, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He came to them often. He came to Paul often. At least once that was written down, he brought Paul up to him. So see, what Paul was excited about was his appearing in his life. Every day, every moment. Do you have expectation in your life for Jesus Christ To be a part of it. To appear. To speak to you. To give you a sense of this love. That he offers. Paul did. And he said to those who love that. To to those who have that expectation. There's a crown of righteousness. Now by the way. This crown. This word. In the Greek is Stephanos. And it is a badge of royalty. Let me read it here. A badge of royalty, a prize in the public games, or a symbol of honor. It's kind of like back then in in the uh, Olympics where they gave that wreath. That's where that came from, by the way. In Greece, if you won, they give you a wreath. Didn't get a gold medal. You got this honor. It wasn't paid by silver or gold. It was an honor. Probably much like it is today for the Olympic Games. It's an honor to be an Olympic winner. This crown of righteousness, this Stephanos, this this honor that is given is not just an honor that we receive within and of ourselves, but it's recognized by others. We're going to recognize this on Paul. When we're, when we're all together in heaven, in eternity, we're going to recognize this in Paul. 
Because it's not something that just lasts for the thousand year reign. These rewards are eternal, the Bible says. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 4. And recognize that even Paul, who went after all these things, he is no different than us. He's no different in his capability. Same with Jesus, by the way. Jesus was not some superhuman where, where he had just this superhuman strength to be able to fast for 40 days. Well, that was easy for him. He's Jesus. Baloney. Because if that were the case, he could not claim that he paved that way for us. See, he fought the same ailments of this limited body that we do. The difference is his body was not born in sin. He was tempted, but yet he did not sin, the Bible said. He was not subject to sin. What did I say? First Corinthians, right? First Corinthians chapter 3. Did I say 4? 3. And this is where we get to what it's going to look like for us at that Bema Seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master, I laid a foundation. And this is Paul talking again. I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Now, by the way, what is that foundation? That foundation is Jesus Christ and his gospel. That foundation in your life is the very acceptance that you had of Jesus Christ into your heart. So see, that foundation has been laid in your heart. And you'll understand what that means here in a second. So someone else is building upon this foundation. Let each one take care how he builds it. See, you had nothing to do with your salvation except accepting Jesus Christ into your heart. You had nothing to do with it. Jesus did everything. He paid the price on the cross. You simply accepted it and received his free gift. That was the foundation that Paul's talking about. That cannot be redone. That cannot be rebuilt upon. Right? But then from there, when you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, you then began to build this life with Christ. So what he's talking about here where he says, and someone else is building upon it, then he brings it to the individual and says, let each one take care how he builds it. Take care how you build your relationship. Through Jesus Christ with the Father. Take care how you build that. The foundation's already there. You're building upon this foundation. And by the way, it's not just referring to you yourself. It's referring to those who would speak about Jesus. 
which pretty much needs to be everybody who's accepted him into their heart, right? Because when you speak about Jesus, when you have a testimony for Jesus, when you do anything in the body of Christ to forward Jesus' name and lift up his name, you are building upon a foundation. See, be careful. Because words are never idle. Words have power, like what we talked about in, in that song that we repeated. The declarations that come out of our mouth are important for good and evil. Because both sides are listening. Both sides are listening to what you declare. So what you declare, whether it be in private or in public, as you build the bride of Christ, you are literally building onto the foundation. You know, it, it, anybody in here ever build a wall? Okay, a couple of us, right? You don't just slap a wall up. If I'm going to build a wall by brick, I'll, I'll, I'll build I'll build two feet here, and then I'll go and build two feet here, and then I'll go build two feet here. I mean, good luck with that wall if you do it that way. <laughs> I've seen walls that are built wrong, and they fall down. I've seen that a lot in Mexico and Nigeria. Because people get in a hurry, they don't lay the right foundation. See, to build a proper wall, you need to dig down to where the earth is not expanding anymore. Here in the U.S. where we are here, you're digging down 30 inches. It's, it's down past the point of freezing where, where you have expansion and contraction. So you're digging down, you're laying your foundation where the earth will not be disrupted. I mean, barring an earthquake or something, right? And then upon that foundation, then you start to lay your courses of brick or concrete. And you put them to where they interlink. Interlink. If, if you lay the first course down, then the second course you start in between and lay it across. So that, that's why when you see bricks, the, the, the lines in between never match. Because it's not strong that way. See, how you build your life and your time and your relationship with God, how you build it is important. How you lay down those courses of brick or stone or concrete is important. It's important that, first of all, it's on the right foundation. But then you take care in building that wall. Why? Because then it'll last a lifetime. I've seen walls that have lasted thousands of years. That was one of the coolest things to me about Stonehenge. One of the one of the old even though I mean the reason for it is pretty terrible, but but it was cool to see these stones still standing after some five thousand years. By the way, ignore what archaeologists say about that. Alright? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't aliens. <laughs> Oh, it wasn't aliens. Uh, that came straight out of Genesis 6. That was pre-flood. But, but understand that those stones were put up and they were built with, with a foundation and it probably helped that they were each a million tons each, but, but they were built with strength. 
if, if you ever have a chance, drive up in what, what, I don't know, I, I call it Chateau Valley. That's what we've always referred it to in, in northwestern Delaware, up in Greenville area, up in the old DuPont area. Drive up there and see the stone walls that they've built. I mean, years and years, hundreds of years ago, even before DuPont, these walls that are still there. Why? Because they were built properly. And literally, they won't be knocked down until somebody knocks them down. That's how we're to build our lives and our relationship with Christ. Okay, um, verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, or straw. Each one's work will become manifest. What Paul did here, Paul listed all of the building materials that they used to use back then. Right? All the building materials that we would use to to build something. You know, you look now, anybody into history here? I love history. I hated it when I was in school. And it had to be tested on it. But I, I just love it now. It's my favorite thing in the world. And, and, and you go and you see, if you look, even in American history, it's very rare, very rare that you find a, a wood, solely wood structure that is 300 plus years old and is still there. That's not totally dilapidated. It's, it's very rare. Okay, you certainly don't see any that were made of straw, right? You 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 go back and and anybody been to England and saw those thatch roofs? Okay, those were made to redo because they don't last, right? They're they're not they're not permanent. They're not something that's going to last for too long. So so Paul's listing all the things you can build with here, and he's saying that this is. This is the work that we do in our lives to build our relationship with Christ. He says in verse 13, each one's work will become manifest. I want to look up. What's that word manifest mean? In the Greek, it's phaneros. It means to become apparent, to be made public, to be made external, to appear or open outwardly. Okay, so each one's work, what we build on this relationship with Christ, what we build in our lives, each one's work will be made known to everybody. In this life? No, it's not what it says. It says, for the day will disclose it. Now, if, if you notice in your Bible, that, that word day, the D is probably capitalized. Do you, do you see that? It doesn't really explain it until you get in the Greek because you have to understand that that's not talking about just a day when it's light. That, well, when daytime comes, it's going to show... No, it's talking about a specific day. It's talking about that day that is the Bema Seat of Christ. For that day, when we are before Him, when we are being judged by Him, our fruit will be made manifest. It will be made known. Now, I, I'm not saying it's known to everybody. It might be, it might not be. It doesn't say that. It will certainly be known to us. 
We will know when we stand before him what our fruits were, what our fruits were not, because it will be made known. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work one has done. Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, thank the Lord he put that in there, but only as through fire. So do you see what, what Paul used here was, was a metaphor of how to build something that's long-lasting. If you build a house with wood, hay, straw, and you light it on fire, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, it's going to come down. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be consumed by that fire. There will be nothing left. But if you take the silver, gold, precious stones and you light them on fire, what's going to happen to those? Nothing, they're refined in the fire. See, gold is refined in fire. Anybody watch Gold Rush? The most awesome show on TV. Just saying. See, if you ever watch it, okay, there's only one other person that's cool in here. Seriously. If you watch, they'll, they'll smelt this fire, or this gold, and, and they'll make these gold bars, but, but it's so interesting how it happens. They, they heat the gold up to about 2,000 degrees. And, and in that, it, it brings all of the impurities to the top. And they don't just scrape it off right away, because they don't want to lose any of that gold. So they let it cool. It cools down to where they could get close enough to it and pull it out with tongs, then they throw it in water. And let it totally cool. Once it's totally cool and and made cold again, they pull this this block out, and on the bottom, on the bottom of this brick, it looks like this beautiful shiny gold. And then it's got this junk on top that looks like crusted over junk. I don't know. It's just junk. And he takes a hammer. And he goes, tink, tink, tink. And it just falls right off. See, the amazing thing is when the gold is smelted and and all that junk is moved to the top and moved by itself, it has no hold on the gold. But yet when it's mixed through the gold, you can't tell. When they first pull it out of the ground, you see the gold and it's, it's got all these black specks in it. Even, even a nugget might have black specks in it and, 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 and see that part of the gold is not gold. That, that's what comes off. That's, that, that's what is literally melted away. And when it's separated, it has no hold on the gold. I want you to picture that that's what's gonna happen or is happening every day in your life. God, who is the fire, His word that is the fire permeates your life every day whether you like it or not. And he takes those those things that you built, this relationship that you're building, the, the fruits that are in your life, and he applies it to the fire of the Holy Spirit. And when that fire is applied, it either burns up or it stays strong. 
And oftentimes when that fire is applied, the very, the, the very thing that they do to purify gold is what happens in us. He purifies us. He prunes us. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. What is that loss? It's important to understand this. Because we only get one life. We only get one interview. We only get one chance to do this thing by faith. Because once we breathe our last and we're before the Lord, it's no longer by faith. Because then we will know Him. We will see Him. We will be with Him. Praise God. But what we do here is the only chance we get to produce or allow the Father to produce that work in us. Now, if we don't, we will suffer loss. What does that mean? Suffer loss? How do you suffer loss? He can't, he's not going to send me to hell. He already promised that. I'm guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. So I'm not, I won't go to hell. So what kind of loss do I actually receive? That loss is opportunity. For any of you that, that have, when you were younger or whatever were part of track or, or, or any kind of competitive sports, if you, if you went into something and you didn't quite achieve what you wanted to, what, what is the feeling of that? Man, I, I know so many football games where I just, man, I wanted it to be different. And all you're thinking of afterwards is, man, I, I could have done this. On that play, I could have done that. In that split second, I could have chosen to go right and not left. You know, maybe, maybe the choice was I, I really shouldn't have eaten that burger before the game. <laughs> right? So it's those choices that you're going to start to think about when you're standing before the Bema Seat of Christ. You're going to recognize the opportunities that you had right now. And you're going to recognize that you had a choice. You had a choice to recognize the real reality of what's going on with this life instead of what we see in this world. See, I'm sorry guys, it's it's not about your mortgage. It's not about buying that car. It's not about going to school. It's not about, about that job. Boy, if it is, then we really got a bad end of the deal. But it's not. It's what you let God do through you in that. Because that's the real interview process. But instead of leaving it there with the loss, because, because by the way, that loss will not, there's real loss. Okay. There's real loss of position. Okay. It's, it's not just, you're not going to lose your salvation, but what you lost was opportunity to have position with the Lord, by the way, for eternity. This isn't just for a thousand year reign. And I, I know I don't have time to get into a lot of this, but, but young people, we just went through Revelation. We finished Thursday night. Awesome. 
took two years, but we finished it. That was their fault, by the way. Totally their fault. We went through so many rabbit holes. But, but recognize when we go through Revelation, recognize in the end, especially chapter 20, 21, and 22, read in there. This afternoon, go home and read it. Read in there. You're going to see that nations will still exist. Not just in the thousand year reign. But in eternity, when the Father says, it is now time for God to dwell with man. Not just for Christ who became a man, but it is time for God, the Father, to dwell with man. And that's when the the new Jerusalem comes down and he dwells with man. But recognize, even at that time, there's still nations on the earth. There's still kings on the earth. So there's still a governmental system on the earth. There's still positions of authority on the earth. These are the positions we're interviewing for right now. Do you understand that? And there's nothing that you need to qualify for to go after that position. That's the beautiful thing about God. See, on this earth, if I want to be a rocket science scientist, I pretty much need to study science and math and all that. And rockets, yeah, I need to know about rockets. <laughs> See, with Jesus Christ, there's one prerequisite to being able to rule with Him. And that is to know His mind. That is to adopt His mind as your mind. He will only hire those who would answer the same way He would answer. To literally give that up to Him. So there's nobody in this room that has an advantage over anyone else. By the way, nobody, and this is what I, what I say when I go to Nigeria and we're out in the, in, in, in the sticks where, where, you know, a person there in a village may, may know a few people and, and may, may never even encounter more than a couple hundred people in their life. They have the same opportunity I have. Because it's not about what God produces in your life. It's about the relationship produced in your heart. And you don't need anybody else for that. Except Jesus Christ. He's the one who takes you to the Father. Now, turn to 1 Corinthians 4. Just over a page. 1 Corinthians 4. I'm going to start at verse 4. Because it's the heart that God will judge. And this is to give scripture to what I just said. Verse 4 and 5 say this. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. 
Then each one will receive his commendation from God. See, be careful because you can't hide your intent from God. You can't hide your intent on this earth, in this life, from the very God, Jesus Christ, that will be the judge. See, he doesn't look at what you do. We've talked about this. He looks at your heart. He looks at what's produced from your heart. That's why David, who went through all that he did, was still a man after God's own heart because of his love for him. God looked at his heart. He forgave the sin. But David was judged on his heart before God. So were all of those. Look at Hebrews 11. The faith chapter talked about so many by faith in their heart choosing to follow God when it didn't make sense. See, God looks at your life right now. And He looks at your heart. And He sees what you want in your heart. Do you want Jesus Christ? Do you want relationship with the Father? Do you want him to produce inside you anything that he wants? Or do you have a list of what you want and are you trying to fit him in? See, it's so easy to do and it's it's so hard to recognize the difference sometimes. But there is a difference. It's not about the doing. Man, if if you want to if you want to read Anything about a switch from the law, which was about the doing, to grace and relationship, which is where we are now. Read Romans, specifically 6, 7, and 8. Read the book of Hebrews. You know, talk about where we were into where we are now and what, what we are allowed to have now. Now, I want you to turn, and I... I, I I know you're busy in your Bibles here, but turn to Revelation. We're going to go to chapter 2, and I'm going to skip through some of this, because these are some of the crowns, these are some of the rewards that we will receive as we build relationship with Jesus Christ. And and I'm just going to read the last part of each of these letters to the churches. And each church had issues or, or had, had things that the Lord sent to them. But each one had a phrase at the end to the one who conquers. Chapter 2, we'll begin at verse 7. And this is the church at Ephesus. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is what will produce eternal life for us. And and I, I won't dig into that, but those of you who were at Ignition College the last couple times know what that means. Because there will be a physical tree that produces 12 types of fruit that, that gives us that eternal life. The church at Smyrna, verse 11, to the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. This is a conquering that... What we do is just accepting Him. When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, you have conquered death because Jesus has conquered death for you. 
So to the one who accepts Jesus Christ into their heart, the second death cannot hurt them. For we are covered in the blood of Christ. Church of Pergamum, verse 17. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one accept, that no one knows except the one who receives it. There's two things that he promises here to those who conquer. The first is sustenance. The hidden manna. The things that, that God promises us when we step in faith. By the way, this isn't, this isn't something that only happens at the Bema Seat of Christ. This is something that happens in your life right now. When you trust Him in faith and you walk by faith, He comes through for you in that hidden manna. Boy, there is not a, a better explanation of this than, than to giving tithe and offering. Right? That's one of the toughest things to do for a Christian. Why? Because everything's about money. Everything. Why do you think God said you can't serve God and mammon at the same time or money at the same time? Why, why of all things, why would he say money? I mean, why wouldn't he say you can't serve God or Satan? Or you can't serve God or your job? No, it's because everything in this world wraps around money. Our control of our life wraps around money. So how difficult is it to start on a thing where you're giving of your tithes and offerings when you don't have enough to begin with? I, I could tell you from personal experience, that's the toughest thing I went through. That was the toughest thing Alexa and I had to learn as a couple is giving of that when it didn't make sense to give it. And it's for this very reason. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give provision that they knew nothing about. I He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So if you need one and you're faithful to him and you're stepping in what he wants, he'll send you a cow. <laughs> Just don't be surprised if you get a knock on the door and you hear this. I do, some of you are looking at me like, am I going to get a cow? What? Wait, wait, you lost me. It's about the provision. <laughs> yes, it's, I could use it. I was thinking about that last night. They were watching a cartoon with these cows and all I could think of is I really wanted a good steak. <laughs> Is that is that wrong? I don't know. Is that wrong? Okay. I, I think of the, the priests in the Old Testament that got to eat all that food. Man, they, they had to have some good steak. Sorry, I'm sorry, my mind. It's almost lunchtime and I didn't have breakfast. <laughs> yes. But the, the, the point is, when we are obedient to Him... He provides in places we don't expect. He provides in ways we don't expect. But it's to those who conquer, who conquer, He will do that for. And the second part, I will give Him a white stone with the name written on it. The stone no one knows except the one who receives it. What's that talking about? That's intimacy. 
as you build relationship with Jesus Christ, that intimacy of knowing Him. Names are so important in heaven. Every name comes from heaven. Every family name, the Bible says. But this is a name that He gives you. As you develop relationship with with Him, He'll give you this, this name that provides for that relationship with Him, that that closeness with Him. To those who conquer, you'll receive that. To the church at Thyatira, verse 26 of chapter 2, to the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as with earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. What's he saying here? He says, to those who conquer, I will put you in places of authority. Why? Because you will rule nations. It says he will rule them with a rod of iron. What does that sound like? Does that sound familiar? It better College age, we just went through it a few weeks ago. Jesus Christ in the thousand year reign will rule with a rod of iron. So how do you think we're going to rule if we are conquerors and put into those positions? How are we going to rule with a rod of iron? It's because we have developed the mind of Christ. He can trust us. To make the decisions. It's not, it's not, it, it's, it's so easy to think of eternity, eternity myopically. Like God does everything and I just kind of float. Even in this case, when we are judges, we're not only going to judge angels, it says, but we are going to judge the humans that are born into that period of time. That last dispensation. So as we judge, We can only rule the way Christ rules by developing His mind. By giving Him our yes every day and taking the steps of faith that He wants us to take. That that literally is conditioning our mind to what He would say or what He would do. Because when we're sitting on the, the judge bench... And we've got some in, in, in the thousand year reign in eternity. We got somebody brought before us and we have to judge this case. See, Christ doesn't need somebody to, hold, hold on one second. Jesus? Okay, I got this case before me and I don't know what to do. See, what he wants is to those who conquer, he wants us developing the mind of Christ so it's not a question, but we will know what he would do. Why? Because we've consumed His Word. That doesn't just apply in eternity. That applies to today. How do we practice to be ready for that? It's by applying it to this life. When you come up to a crossroads, you have to make a decision to go right or go left. How do you make that decision and know it's the right decision? I know many people that have come to me building this relationship with Christ and, and, and at that point where I, I don't know what God wants me to do. And, and it's not like one's bad and one's good. Right? It's not, well, this is sin and this is not sin. So, you know, that makes for a pretty easy choice. 
It's where both could be good. But Lord, which one do you want? It's taking those steps of faith and learning the mind of Christ to see how his mind would operate in a choice like that. And I can tell you more more times than anything else. The difference between us and him is he he doesn't see the landscape like we see the landscape. We see the landscape in terms of the drawbacks or the difficulties. He sees the landscape in the end, where that road leads. See, to him, the the obstacles didn't matter. It was what was at the end, that's what mattered. We have to develop the mind of Christ so we see things the same way. If he has called Ignition Church to be warriors, and he has, we've got to learn to see the landscape for what it really is, not what the enemy wants us to see it as. See, when we choose to go down a path, we want to go down the path that the Lord has for us. And the only way you could develop the mind of Christ in this life is to allow Him to change your perception of this life and what this life really looks like and what the the landscape around you and those paths really look like. Chapter 3, the Church of Sardis, verse 5. To the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. This idea of putting on white garments. This idea of purity. To the one who conquers in this life is the one who goes after the purity of Jesus Christ. Who recognizes that in this life, sometimes to walk a purified life, you know what, not even sometimes, all the time. It is a difficult choice because you're choosing against your flesh. When we choose to walk in purity, that choice is difficult because of our sinful flesh. However, when you make that choice, You recognize that landscape. You see the other side for what it really is. And then that choice becomes easier as you walk in it. And it's not just about sin. It is definitely about sin, but it's not just about sin. It's about the choices that we make to step in faith. See, if all you do is try to make choices not to live in sin, that's a good thing. But that's not what's pleasing to God. First of all, I don't believe that you can even choose to step in righteousness and purity outside of sin without faith. Because faith is the very thing that pleases God, the the very thing that infuses us with the ability to take those steps. To the church of Philadelphia. Verse 12. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. 
And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. This one to me is a special one. I'll tell you why. Here on this earth, we always want to live in the nicest places. We see the developments around that have the big houses and the the beautiful things. And, oh man, that's where I want to live. I remember I used to used to drive up in in the Greenville area and think, oh yeah, that's where I want to live. It's got the hills, it's beautiful, it's got the old old buildings, it's got the ridiculously insanely huge mansions. That's where I want to live, right? That's what this is talking about in the New Jerusalem. Again, the young people ought to remember some of this because after the thousand year reign of Christ and after the great white throne judgment and all of sin and Satan and all of his cohorts are cast into the abyss and the abyss then is cast into the outer darkness never to be remembered again is gone. Sin is gone. At this point, the heavens and the earth are recreated. See, we missed it the first time. We get to see it this next time. How cool will that be? But when that happens, the new Jerusalem descends down and comes down to the earth. This new Jerusalem is the throne of God. Because Revelation says that as it descends down, God said, it is now time for God the Father to dwell with man. God the Son had already been dwelling with man for a thousand years. Now it is time for God the Father to dwell with man. And so the new Jerusalem comes down. That's going to be the most awesome, awesome development. (laughs) That's where you're going to want to live. You're going to want to live there. Trust me. Don't wait till then because you won't be able, you won't be able to qualify for it then. If you want to qualify for it now, you gotta do it now, you gotta work in this life. But what, what's it say there? It says, I will make him a pillar to, to the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in my temple of my God. What does that mean? See, the twelve, t- the twelve pillars of Solomon's temple were named. It was personal. A pillar is a foundational part of the structure. It's something that doesn't move. It's something that is secure and there as part of the structure. What he's saying is to those who conquer, I will make you a foundational part of this structure. The temple which is the new Jerusalem. And not only that, He says, you'll never go out of it and I will write the name of my God. By the way, (laughs) this is crazy to think of this. Who's saying this? Jesus Christ. Look in in the beginning of chapter 2. It says, the letters to the churches from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is saying what? He's saying, my God. How crazy is that to think of that? Because see, Jesus, who was on the same plane as the Father, by choice, by choice, became a man. By choice, lowered Himself to the status of a servant. 
Jesus Himself said that the Father is my God. That's how He learned by faith on this life. How, how much less are we to say He is our God and to revere Him? He said to those who conquer, I'll write the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is this new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. If you understand, later in Revelation, if you study that, Jesus himself will receive a name that only he knows. And that's crazy. When it, first time I read that, I thought, Okay, kind of what's the point of that? You know, I'll call myself this, I'll receive this name, but I won't tell anybody. What, what point is that? The point's right here. See, he's going to share that with those who are intimate with him. He's going to share that name with those who are intimate. It says it right here, which comes down from the city of my God in heaven and my own new name. Jesus is going to share that with those that he has relationship with and those who have built relationship with him right here. Because it has to be done in faith. It can't be done when you're, when you're with him. If you're waiting to die before you build your relationship with Christ, guess what? It's too late. Because there's nothing in that that can please Him. Faith is what pleases Him. You have the opportunity right now to live by faith, to step by faith, to walk in faith. That's what pleases Him. That's what builds that relationship with Him. And then lastly, to the church at Laodicea, verse 21 of chapter 3. To the one who conquers, I will grant him... To sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father in his throne. See when Jesus. Rose from the grave. And then ascended into heaven. The father. Said come and sit at my right hand. While I make your enemies. Your footstool. It was the Father's choice that lifted the name of Jesus above all names and sat him at his right hand. Jesus is not sitting on his throne right now. He's sitting at the right of the Father's throne. What does that mean? He has not taken the authority that he has already paid for. He will, though. That's when he comes and he conquers. And Jesus said to the one who conquers, I will do the same thing that my father did for me. He said, I will sit you at the right hand of my throne. You will be my right hand person. You will be the intimate group that I go to in relationship. Father does nothing without the son. Son did nothing without the Father. The Father brought him into, because remember, Jesus chose. As God, the Son of God, he chose to become a man. When he chose that, that relationship changed with the Father. 
The communication changed with the Father. It had to. It had to so He could plow that road for us. But then, after Jesus was faithful in everything He did, and He did the Father's will, which was to die on the cross, to raise from the grave, He brought Him up to be His in His inner circle, if you will. Jesus said, to those who conquer, I'm going to do the same thing. You're going to be part of my team. You're going to be part of the team that, that goes and gets things done and does what needs to happen in the nations. Because remember, there's going to be nations. There's going to be nations in the world at that time and for eternity. There have to be leaders of those nations. I mean, think of the government in the world right now. And there's going to be a lot more then than there are on the world right now. So there will have to be government set up at all different levels. This is the interview. This is the job that you're interviewing for right now. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Don't figure that, well, you know, if I do well at this interview, awesome. If I don't, there'll be another one. Because there's always another job. No, you need to treat this like the ultimate interview for your ultimate job. The one that you would give anything for. The one that you would pay any price to receive. Because you got one shot. You got one shot And that's this lifetime. That isn't to say that if you mess up, that shot's over. There's only one thing that makes that interview process over. And that's when you breathe your last breath. Until that point, you're in this interview process. Don't worry about what has happened in your past. From this moment, step forward. From this moment, recognize that not only is he interviewing you for a position, but he's literally here to help us with the interview. (laughs) How cool is that? Have you ever had an interview where you walked in and the person actually helped you get that job? You know, say this or don't say this. And and they're the person that's going to be hiring you. I think of Wendy. (laughs) (laughs) we're online so I won't say anything more about it but God is here to help you with this interview through this walk of life will you trust him in it will you trust him in that daily walk making the difficult choices let's pray Father we worship you we praise you And Lord, I I know it went on a little long today, but it made up for last week. I ask, Father, that you sink this deep into the hearts of each person listening. Whether they be here physically or online or listening in the podcast later. 
Father, if, if we get anything in life, we must get this first. We must understand that it doesn't stop with accepting you into our heart as Savior. That's, that's where it begins, not, not ends. And to live a sold out life for you is filled with daily choices in developing your mind. Father, I pray as you, as you said in each of those letters, you said to those who have an ear, let him hear. Father, I pray that you give us ears to hear, that you give us eyes to see, that we can recognize and pursue your will. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Um, You know, Ignition has been in this journey, you know, how long ago is it? Probably about a year and a half ago. Almost a year and a half ago, we were given the the charge to start running, you know, and that is what we've been doing as we've been running. And it was cool because, you know how sometimes we don't want it to, but our minds can go elsewhere during the message and we have to rein it back in. Well, I'll admit, I had a, I had a moment of my mind going elsewhere, but God is good in that because I was looking around the room, admiring the new... Uh, decor. I don't know if you guys saw it. And all of a sudden, yes, all of a sudden God just hit me with an awesome analogy. And you guys know how much I love analogies. I, w- I wanted to share it with you because I don't know if you guys remember the, the wall hanging that was on here before this was put up. You know, it, it had, it had cogs. Is that what it's called? Cogs and, and, um, little, little spinning wheels. It made me think of like steampunk, you know? Um, yeah. And, and when I saw this and was admiring it this morning, cause my grandmother has great taste. <laughs> um, God reminded me of visions in the past where he has, has given people visions of flowers and how they start blossoming and blooming. And I thought about it more. And was like, wow, God is bringing us into a new season. And we've known that for a while. But how cool is it that he gives us a visual of what that new season is? I don't know if you guys remember, but the same night that we were told where our next interim building was going to be was the night we put the new carpet on here. And the flower was put last night, right? Was it last night or Friday? Last night. And before the wall hanging that was up was, was turning wheels. It was, it was working. It was machinery, you know? And, and I thought about it was like, wow, God has been, you know, growing us and, and crafting us into exactly what he wants this church to be. But we are entering into a new season where we're about to bloom. The same night that we put the carpet down was a new era of God bringing us forward in this interview process. Kind of think of it like, like how there can sometimes, I think of it as auditions, <laughs> you know, 
um, in music, you know, how there's, there's multiple callbacks that you'll get. You know, okay, all right, you passed this level. Now you got to go on to the next level. And the next level still has challenges. You're still going to have people that critique you. You still are going to have people that, in an interview process, you're still going to have people that, that might ask you harder questions and, and more detailed questions. But we just moved into a new level. Amen? And that is awesome. How cool is that, that God is moving us forward because of our hearts for him? So if you ever feel like, like you're stuck in one place, just look at that pain. And remind yourself where God is bringing you because he is blossoming you into who he created you to be. Amen? Amen. Um, so 